Hi everyone, and welcome again to a new episode uh, all, uh, in our already third series of Getting It Right, the Brand Strategy Podcast, in which we explore all kind of great new innovative brand topics, and um, and we have inspiring and fun and interesting guests on each of our shows. Um, Today's podcast will be, I think, super interesting. We'll be talking about the role of social data and especially art, artificial intelligence in building brands. Um, you know, have brands moved on from comparing just a simple, you know, uh, number of positive mentions minus negative mentions? Um, what role does uh, artificial intelligence uh, play in analyzing social data? Uh, what are some future developments that we can expect? So it's going to be an interesting topic, I believe, and something that is on uh, many of our listeners' agenda. Uh, my name, as uh, 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 most regular listeners know, is Dawa Rademaker. I'm a global brand strategist at Ipsos, dialing in from Amsterdam. And here, as usual, I'm here with my friend, my co-host, my fellow global brand strategist, Chris Murphy, from his hometown, Nashville, Tennessee. Hi, Chris. Hello, Dawa. How are you, my friend? Very happy, thanks. All right. Now, you know I'm always starting to ask you a question. Uh, so in, in, when we're talking about uh, uh, social data, and I know that you're a bit of a, a user of social data, uh, <laughs> can you remember your last social media post? And more interestingly, why did you post it? Like, what does it say about you as a person, Chris? Uh, so, so, so Dalla, maybe the most telling question would, would be if you had used the word when uh, at the at the front of that. Ah, been that I, long I, ago? I'm not. Uh, I'm not a particularly active social media guy. I, you might call me a. Uh, if you're doing a segmentation scheme, I would far, probably fall into the group minimalist reactor. Uh, All right. I, I, I tend to use. Uh, I, I keep it safe now, so it's it's short. You know, thumbs, hearts, that kind of thing. So yeah. Um, so uh, today we have an incredible guest on, on the show. His name is Alan Bondi. Um, he uh, has been the CMO of a number of software as a service startups, and he is currently the CMO of Synthesio. Um, now, uh, he spent the last 20 years working as an engineer in AI and in consultancy, and he is the co-author, along with Emma Huff, of a really cool paper called AI Meets Consumer Insights that was just published this month, and you can find it on uh, ipsos.com. And we're going to be referencing that a number of times in our discussion here. But in addition to all that, and very importantly, Alan is an accomplished bass guitar player in The Remnants. Um, and I think they're going to be playing a, a, a number of gigs in June. So we got to start there. Um, Alan, if, if you're to compare uh, and contrast uh, bass guitar and, and AI, where, where do you see the similarities? So thanks, guys. I am so excited to be here and talking about bass. I mean, this is like the perfect podcast. So I would say a couple things. One, like AI, bass is foundational, right? It's foundational to so many different genres of music, just like AI is behind the scenes in a lot of different business processes and marketing apps and things like that. So it's kind of hidden, but it's there. Um, I'd also say that no one wants to listen to a bass solo and no one <laughs> wants to listen to a lecture on like different flavors of neural networks. So bass players are kind of you know, comfortable in their role, kind of sitting back, you know, hanging out with the drummer. Um, but when you don't have bass, you certainly miss it. So I'd argue when you don't have AI, you miss it. Also, like 
data scientists, I'm going to claim that bass players are the cool kids, right? So think about Sting or <laughs> Charles Mingus or Kim Deal. Uh, maybe a little tortured, but definitely cool. I have cool. to say, by the way, before you continue, Chris, I did stalk you and listen to uh, Superstition on your Facebook account uh, on one of your last gigs. I don't know if you know, it's on there. Yes, uh, it is. You were right. I, I, it was not so hidden, the bass guitar. It was right there. I love listening to it, but it was a... Uh, it was very much. It was very much there. All so right, we so we have a, a joke in our band that you know we cover a lot of classic rock and and everything from early blues rock to um, more pop. But you have to pay the funk tax. So we were paying the funk tax when we played Superstition in our <laughs> last gig. So as long I as you pay it. the funk tax, just like you have to pay the AI tax. Okay. So, Alan, uh, you, you can't make this stuff up. This is uh, just one of these serendipitous moments. But on my way to the office today, the very last song I heard uh, before this podcast, because uh, it's 7 a.m. here in Nashville, um, was the Tighten Up by Archie Bell and the Drills. And Archie actually gives his bassist uh, an intro for a solo. <laughs> that was the last thing no, I heard. No one wants movie. to, trust me, no <laughs> one wants to hear that. Well, it's only about a 15-second solo, but at All least right. the bassist got some prime time and in, 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 a, in a big hit. Anyway, uh, so, uh, Alan, okay, we'll, we'll come off the bass guitar for a second. Um, and tell us a little bit more about Synthesio. I think a lot of our listeners are, are not going to be familiar maybe with, with that brand. Can you talk to us a bit about the company and your, role, and your role therein? Yeah, so Synthesio is Paris-based. Uh, it's a software company started by some super smart AI and natural language text analytics folks about 15 years ago. Synthesio became part of Ipsos about three years ago. So we are a business unit that is uh, you know, semi-independent, right? We're global in scale. We do our own marketing. We have a tech team in Paris. We're also in New York, London, Singapore. So we're global in scope. Uh, we have really kind of repositioned over the last year as we talk about, I mean, social listening is foundational, but also it's in many ways kind of played out and it's evolving into what Forrester has called AI-enabled consumer intelligence. And we'll we'll talk a lot more about that. In fact, the Ipsos Views piece that you mentioned, Chris, is very much talking about this new era of analytics driven by social data, driven by AI. And so Synthesio works you know, across Ipsos, especially with social intelligence analytics and other service lines. And mostly we're working with global brands, some agencies, other companies that are trying to figure out what to do with all this data and how they can sort it, create insights and turn those insights into better decisions. All right. That's that. Thanks for the introduction, uh, Alan. Let, let's move a little bit. Uh, let's move to AI and social listening. And when we had a, a pre-conversation and I was mentioning uh, about the uh, uh, positive mentions versus uh, uh, minus negative mentions, you, you were laughing. I think you said it. Uh, the analysis of uh, social data has evolved very quickly and very much uh, uh, further than uh, where we were a number of years ago. So let's start there. Tell us a little bit about the evolution of social listening and the intelligence used to, you know, move from the listening to, you know, consumer intelligence. Yeah. So the, there's really three dimensions. Like everything, there's three things. Of right? course. So, um, 
first is just the the number of use cases, the variety of use cases. So I think that's evolved from the early days of social listing, which was mostly attached to brand health, Marcoms, you know, tracking campaigns. What are people saying about the brand? Still important, but over the last few years, the diversity of those use cases has really expanded, as we'll talk about. You know, outside of marketing, even into uh, innovation or into corporate strategy. And that means we're now serving a, a broader set of personas, right? We we still serve this sort of core brand persona very much, but also we're working more closely with insights and data teams and even with innovation teams that are trying to look at the data and figure out what the market's doing or what are emerging trends or where should they focus or how can they tune their campaign? So that's one, new use cases. Two okay. would be... Of course, there's always a new social channel. I mean, if we were doing this session five years ago, would we even mention TikTok? Did it even exist? So you, so you have new channels coming on and then you have new formats. I mean, the fact that people are now posting images and memes and videos and um, TikToks, the, the diversity of the types of things people are posting means that you need more technology to keep up with and interpret what those messages and memes and videos represent. So right. new channels and new formats. And then three would be, you know, my favorite, which is back to the, you know, you need more base and you need more AI is the role of AI to sort of step in and help teams make sense of all of this, right? From cleaning the data, you know, it's filtering out the bots. There's a lot of bots um, to combining the data into new formats to then sifting and looking for patterns and going from sort of classic social was very reactive. Like, what did somebody say about us yesterday? And AICI is more about reactive and proactive, like what is likely to develop tomorrow? And I think that's what AI is really good at. AI is really good at looking at data way more than people can, of course. I mean, people can't right. sift through millions of data points and look for patterns and start projecting and say, you know, this is interesting. Hey, human, look at this because I think there's something here. All right. So you were talking about new use cases, new social channels, and kind of new roles for AI, right? Yeah. So so let's deep dive into each one of them. And I, and I really like you to give some some examples to bring this to life uh, for our listeners. So let's let's start with these use cases. Uh, uh, and by the way, before you start, do 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 these 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 metrics that I use these really simple metrics that brands used in the past, as I mentioned before, do they still matter or do they thrown them if they've thrown them completely away or and give me some examples of some of those use cases so so tell me a little bit more about the first the first uh, uh, topic on the use cases so as a marketer it's interesting because the vanity metrics um, to me they still kind of matter right I mean do, do I want to see what people are liking and sharing and, and commenting sure that's interesting right it's a measure of engagement is it strategic? Okay. Nah, not really, right? I mean, if if you're a CMO and you're leading your presentation for the board with, hey, look at all these likes we got on this article, you probably won't last very long in that board meeting. So we think that what's happening, and we say this actually in the Ipsos Views piece, is there's this elevation of the types of things people are measuring, right? So it's it's more meaningful to look at how a social program maybe created uh, a certain lift 
in terms of a campaign or a go-to-market or attracted a, a, a new customer base or increased share of market. So I think that we're seeing more traditional you know, marketing metrics being applied to these programs more than the likes and shares. And then even more broadly, you know, can we discover new revenue opportunities? And of the use cases that we focus on, you know, roughly again, we call the, our personas are labeled to sort of match them. You know, brand versus insights versus innovation. I think the most strategic thing that social can do is help find new innovation opportunities or market spaces or white spaces or product categories that don't yet exist. And that's the really leading edge of this discipline. And in fact, the SIA team and um, their so-called uh, innovation spaces offering is very much focused on using social to spot new markets or spot new unmet needs or spot new uh, product opportunities. So, Alan, just on the topic of spotting, uh, your paper um, mentions this phrase that you loosely alluded to earlier, um, going from reactive monitoring to predictive intelligence. Uh, could you talk a little bit more? about yes. what's going on in that space. So this is really the perhaps most visible benefit of applying different types of data science or predictive analytics or AI. I mean, AI is kind of the umbrella here, right, for a conversation. Mm -hmm. Underneath that umbrella, there is, you know, a variety of techniques. And the predictive part is really kind of borrowing from the analytics world or the business intelligence world and starting to pull it into more marketing and brand use cases. And this is the idea that you can uh, look into the future and see what could be uh, an emerging trend that could turn into a full-on trend or uh, look at the, the, the conversation volume and see where it may go or what topics come and go. And is something a real trend or just a transient you know, like a, a conversation around an event? We did some interesting work with um, one of the other service lines looking at the Super Bowl, right, which has now become a global event and looking at conversations both before, during, and after. And a lot of the conversation around the Super Bowl are pretty transient, of course, right? They talk about the halftime show and they talk about which commercials were uh, popular or being trashed or which celebrities in those commercials were getting the share of conversation. But out of those conversations, some things continued, right? Like look at the focus on electric vehicles in the Super Bowl. And you had the BMW spot with Schwarzenegger. And, you know, we've seen certain themes continue. And that's where predictive can really help us to see what's, you know, a real trend versus what's kind of a, a flash in the pan. So, so is it fair to say, listening to you, that instead of those generic, as you call them, vanity metrics, we're moving to specific KPIs or specific metrics that are linked to business issues or use cases? Ideally, yes. <laughs> is that happening all all over the place? Not yet. And and this right. gets into, you know, the brands that are the most sophisticated are doing that. But lots of brands are still on this path to a more strategic use of, well, data overall and digital overall. And then I'd say everything that we do right within Synthesio sort of sits at that intersection of data maturity and digital maturity, sort of how people are collecting and processing the data and their ability to turn it into insights and how can they act on it, activate it, turn it into, you know, new web experiences or digital experiences or campaigns. And those things yeah. kind of have to be aligned for people to fully take advantage. It sounds like it's a, a 
a, a bit of a mix, right, um, in terms of the sophistication with which different companies are are, are approaching this. Um, are there particular industries, you know, that, that are, are doing more, you might consider more, more at the vanguard here in, in utilizing social data? So not surprisingly, if you look at where I would say both the mature, we talk about will and skill sort of as we look at who's a good fit for this technology. Do they have the desire, right? They, they know they need to do more with data. They need to activate and get closer to customers. And do they have the skill, the data skills, the digital skills, the analytical skills? And so I'd say the industries that have the highest concentration of the will and the skill are the CPGs, of course, the, the fast-moving CPGs, especially luxury. Um, we're doing quite a bit in fashion. So that that's an area that I think there's more of this happening. Uh, pharma, you know, where there's big research teams, there's big budgets to really invest in data, invest in analytics, invest in the, the data science themselves. And in that case, we're really feeding data into their machine, but they're consuming it. And yeah. then then there's areas like gaming. I mean, we love gaming as a as a vertical. You know, obviously it's a sub area of entertainment, but you know, with with metaverse leading the conversation with the the game producers, the game ecosystems, the role of influencers. We didn't even touch on this. That in all of the areas I just mentioned, especially fashion, uh, certain branded items, retail, gaming, influencers are really important. And turns out the brands want to engage with influencers. Yeah. Okay. So, you, so you're seeing CPG, fashion, pharma, gaming, uh, kind of uh, at the forefront. What about the other side of that question? Uh, in any sectors that are maybe lagging a little bit? So, yeah. I mean, manufacturing. Uh, you know, it, it might s seem obvious to say like utilities, but there's some very innovative utilities, especially ones that are that are more in a competitive market. So, I guess you know, regulated industries tend to be the least innovative. That's that's mostly the case. Also, much of what we're seeing is a B2C thing. So, I mean, the B2B scenarios are just, there's some that are interesting, but mostly this is still a B2C thing. All right, so I th I think this, the, when you mentioned influences, is a nice bridge to the second topic um, on new social channels uh, and the impact it has on uh, brand strategy, on uh, uh, on the work that you do on AI, etc. So let's deep dive a little bit into the, um, the social channels. Can you give us some examples of how your work has changed and how it has impacted your clients? So if you look at the ranking of the top social channels, it's relatively consistent over the last decade. Although you, I mean, there's there's still, you know, Facebook and Twitter, you know, Reddit has been increasing in popularity. Obviously, TikTok yes. came on the scene. You know, there's Insta. You look at sort of the top five or the top 10, and, and there's not a lot of movement, although the ranking shifts a little bit. But I think what really has changed is the formats, right? And, and this notion of, you know, the text-centric, conversation versus the posting of, of images and videos and multimedia right. and sound clips and things like that. And I think that's been the big change that I've seen sort of as I've been both a user and a watcher of social. So the the format's just a, a good, well, it's, it's a simple example, but a really compelling one on why like images are so important. And so one of our clients was working with one of the Brit Awards sponsors and you know, they spend a lot of money to sponsor 
this big you know celebration of the of the music and culture scene in the UK and the agency is very keen to track you know what's the impact of the sponsorship and and uh, the different uh, promotions that they're doing and so originally they were looking just at the text mentions, which is still foundational, right? I mean, text analytics is super yes. important to everything, and and being able to turn that into some meaning is not only hard, but also it's really important. But in this specific case, and sponsorship, of course, makes sense because it's visual, that by using something we call image analytics, so we can actually use AI to look at the scene, and this is not a new technology, but in our discipline, it's relatively new, and could spot logos or spot other objects that you can train it on. And they were, the agency was able to use that to find 40 times the amount of coverage that they got versus just the text mentions. Wow. And so if they were only looking at what people were tweeting or, or posting you know, on their Instagram or, or on Facebook, they would have only seen 5%. Is that right? Wow. Is my math right? Yeah. 2%, whatever that is. Uh, a, a small amount versus the 40 times more mentions yeah. that were the, the, you know, the logos appearing in all sorts of like red carpet pictures. That's that's good. By the way, can you also analyze uh, not just the logos? Could you also analyze facial expression? So this is a good question, and this is where the techies will get me in trouble. So um, <laughs> technically, yeah. So I mean, I well, fun fact: when I was in grad school, I was working on image recognition and, and crazy stuff using things like neural nets. And so certainly, the technology is there. And some of the maybe scarier uses of AI is, in fact facial recognition for surveillance and all that. We can, if we want to dabble in that, that's that's the sort of dark side, if you will, of AI. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the wrong side of a town. And, and certainly that technology is out there. Um, we're focused more, at least right now, on things like recognizing logos. Yeah, understood, understood. And is there also, because we've having, I'm having a lot of conversations with clients that are super interested in uh, uh, in these logos, et cetera, but there's also interesting to see what people consume. But that also uh, comes with challenges. Like, for example, if you want to see what beverages people drink, like some beverages are easy to recognize, but there's also some beverages where you have a cup of tea with milk or a cup of coffee with milk is hard to recognize. Do you think there will be some progress in um, uh, in, in the future? So I'm going to say that 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 desire, that outcome to look at consumption, mm -hmm. you know, or, or even purchase intent, right? You know, if, if you could sort of follow the, the journey, that is super interesting. And we have a number of brands that are using that type of a use case, but our approach would be more to look at different data sources to give you the clues. So this Good is point. where we get into the, the term and it's, it's a nerdy term, but actually the folks we talk to kind of like it, we talk about data hybridization. I mean, it's, it's a mouthful, but it's the ability to blend not just social, but survey data, a search data. And that last one is how I would sort of go after the consumption side is yeah. to look at what people are searching for or scrape review sites so we have the ability, we're talking social here, but also naturally we're ingesting what people are putting on, on blogs or reddits. We're putting um, a variety of you know, data sources into the system and that could basically track the whole journey. And like search data is a great, I mean, searches are a great indicator of intent and in fact purchases. Yeah, and well, Dow has started to take the discussion more to, to the future. So let's roll with that a little bit. 
Not that we're totally going to let you off the hook, Alan, with that uh, dark side of AI topic. We're going to have to make a sequel here, Dawa, called the, the Dark Side. But so we'll, we'll come back to that next time. AI after dark. Yeah, all right. Yeah. AI after dark. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, let's do talk a bit about the future of AI and brand strat and consumer intelligence. Um, you know, Alan, I've, I've, I've read and heard you say in the, in the past that uh, and we're going to communicate in threes again, right? Um, that AI is going to need to be increasingly embedded, explainable, and ethical. Um, can, can you expound on that a, a bit and then we'll, we'll, we'll dive into those? It's, it's clever that there's three E's, right? I, I oh, just realized it's, that. It's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah like, we, like, like we made it up that way. <laughs> Almost. So if I go in the Wayback Machine, so I... Right. I've, I've been doing this for way too long. When I was sitting in a lab, when I was writing up some of these algorithms, when I was sort of transitioning from being a researcher to starting to sell AI, the joke in the AI community, and this is, I don't even want to say it, mid-90s, where you you kind of didn't talk about AI in polite company. You kind of got thrown out of meetings when you talked about AI, how things have changed. But the joke then was, when AI starts to work, you stop calling it AI. And so that's really the, the genesis of how I think about embedding. It's back to the bass player. You know, you, you don't brag that your band has the best bass right. player. You just, you know, play songs that emphasize, you know, if you're playing funk and you don't have a bass player, unless you've got Stevie Wonder on keys, it's just not going to be that great. So you have to embed AI and pick your audience. I mean, if, it, if you're selling to techies, you brag about it. If you're selling to almost anybody else, I don't think people really care that it's AI. And this is sort of always a challenge. I mean, we're embracing the term AI-enabled consumer intelligence. I was just at the Green Book event in Austin a few weeks back, you know, hanging out with a bunch of insights folks. And they were genuinely, as a group, interested in AI and how it can help and how it can extend the value of their panels and the work that they do. So they were kind of asking for AI by name, but that's sort of unusual. So I think people have to embed in, especially if you're a brand and you're using these tools and you want people to have confidence in it, you may or may not want to make a big deal about it that it's using AI. It really depends on the audience. Hey, Alan, you, you scared me a little bit a moment ago when I said, hey, let's talk about the future. And you began your answer with, let's start in the Wayback Machine. But that's all right. I think you, I think you brought it around nicely there. Uh, what about that second element, explainable? So this is also, <laughs> shocker, something I pondered um, in my graduate work, now I'm going, sorry, I'm going to go back to go forward in all of these, because I think we, we kind of forget about history. And, and in the case of AI, I hate to say it, AI as a discipline has been around for 70 years, seven, zero, seven, zero. It started with some academic papers in the 50s. So this is an old idea. And yeah, the but then again, then again, Alan, self-driving cars, at least the concept of it, has also been around for 50, 60 years. Right? It just, oh, I believe it. It's yeah. only taken off in the last few years, but I think the same with AI, right? It's only been really taking off in the last couple of years. So, so yes and, right? This Back to explainable. This has been a challenge for AI practitioners forever. And it depends on what you're doing. And, and if I might, I'm going to just share sort of how I, the, the super simple way to think about the two roles of AI. One <laughs> is automating things that people can do, but don't really want to do, 
right? So there's the automation branch. And um, if you're if you're doing that, usually you want some sort of uh, audit trail or understand like why did the machine do something? And so explainable AI is really important, especially if you're you know scoring loans or you are uh, determining if somebody needs certain treatment in a in an ER or something like that. There's certain branches of AI that you really need to understand how the system came up with the recommendation or the answer or something yeah. like that. Um, and then there's a whole bunch of the second case would be sort of innovation areas where, where humans can't do it. So can humans sort through millions of, of posts online? No, of course not. Can they... Um, you know, look at look at you know footage from a security camera that's been running for a week and and spot you know little changes in the background scene or things like that. So where AI is being used for those so-called innovation examples that just humans can't do it. I think that the the need to explain how it happens is much less. So I think that's the two different flavors, and you have to determine sort of which which case you're focusing on, and do people need to know the how, or do they just need to know the outcome. Yeah, no, I understand. I always like the example of the um, that insurance company uh, to find out who gets a claim uh, awarded, right? They they started to introduce AI, and the um, um, they were. They made they were making incredible advantages of giving the right claims or you know but then people said but why did I get it why did I not get it the explainability and since it was a black box they had to get away with it even though it was really good for business and it was more precise uh, and on the other hand I've worked uh, with Shell when they were using AI to find new oil fields. Right, and nobody really cared what is in the black box because they just found any oil fields. If if you put the 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 hole in the ground and oil comes up, that's all they need to know. Exactly. Um, so that is super interesting. But let's move now to the third, uh, the ethical AI, uh, and I find it interesting because to me, and I want to hear you, your opinion about this as well. There's also an interesting link, I think, with ethical AI to the need for uh, sustainability in brand strategy. So tell me a little bit of what you understand with ethical AI and see if you can make that link uh, to this um, the topic of sustainability. So of these three, I'm not going to go back in time because we weren't really thinking about this in the early days of AI. So mm -hmm. this is, I would say, the vanguard of thinking around AI is um, around the notion of ethics. You know, if you train a bot, will it behave? Will it represent your values? Will it do stupid things and embarrass you as a brand? Um, should we use AI back to those two use cases? Just because you can automate somebody's job, is it good for society to not have people doing those jobs? So I think there's there's both the societal benefits or risks, and then there's the specific brand, you know, value or brand risk if your AI either is representing you not, you know, when, if the chatbot starts to insult people, that's a silly example, but it's a real example. Um, if you're creating certain insights with an algorithm, does the algorithm accumulate certain biases that are not just bad for business, but maybe illegal? You know, back to the, the, the loan or the credit example, certainly the algorithm, if it's trained in a certain way, might start to do things that discriminate against people that you can't do. So I think the ethics of AI has to be taken seriously, but also to your point about sustainability, 
you know, AI is only going to be consumed and it's only going to be accepted and valued if people are confident that it actually is a good actor. And we know, I mean, back to bots, right? There's a lot of bots and that's sort of a nefarious version of AI or, you know, if, if you teach AI to hack into systems or things like that. And that's way beyond sort of the brand use yeah. case. But the power has to, like anything, right? It has to be used appropriately. And also, I would say that our approach, and this is when we talk about hybrid AI, CI, you know, one safeguard and, and arguably the best way to roll any of this out, whether it's an insights use case or even a brand use case or innovation, is to have humans and machines working together. And that's yeah. back to the, the Ipsos Views piece. This is sort of a central theme is for almost every brand that we work with, they need humans and machines. And even if they're super sophisticated and they're consuming like our technology via APIs, they still have humans in the loop. And I think I, I just can't see that changing. So, Chris, just if you remember that in one of our previous podcasts, we were talking about uh, the, um, uh, brand growth and we were talking about how other than just functional and emotional attributes, increasingly things like societal benefits are becoming important in choosing brands, whether it is sustainability, it's, you know, uh, uh, environmental issues, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe this idea of using ethical AI in your company could become part of your um, uh, uh, your brand strategy and and the way you position yourself. Oh, absolutely. And as I was listening to to Alan talk a moment ago, it, it maybe he started talking about the human and machine thing. I, I was reflecting back on on the paper he wrote with Emma. Um, you know, and, and he writes quite a lot about uh, um, harnessing data from social and search and survey and um, kind of blending behavioral data with solicited and unsolicited feedback. Um, if you pair that with what you're describing right now, um, you know, I think the uh, our, our ability to capture you know, data more completely that get it that that kind of total brand story around emotional drivers, functional drivers, societal drivers, system, you know, um, just the uh, our ability to harness that, tell that story more vividly. Um, it, it's so much stronger th than it used to be. It, 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 it's quite exciting. We've covered a lot of ground here, uh, including the dark side of AI, Stevie Wonder, Archie Bell. Um, but uh, we always close the podcast with with this one question. And we're going to ask the same of you um, after all the territory that we've covered today and some, some super interesting uh, topics. If you could leave our listeners with one thought, uh, one thing to be sure they take away for, from this discussion, what would that be? If you want your kid to pick up an instrument, I encourage them to pick the bass because one, it's not that hard. And two, people <laughs> always need a bass player. So if if uh, if they don't mind being a little odd, pick the bass. The the real question the real thing would be the takeaway is know what question you're trying to answer. And that maybe seems simple, but that will inform the use case, the data source the right algorithm, how much people need to be in the loop, how much a machine might be able to come up with the answer. So I think as simple as that is, and we hear this from our customers all the time, is they just need to condition the teams that they support with our technology to yeah. figure out and to revisit what question are we trying to answer. And then a lot of things flow from that. And you also isolate sort of the best approach and a whole bunch of approaches that aren't going to be very good at answering that question. Great advice, Ellen. Thank you so much. So, with this, um, we are concluding this uh, this new episode of our third series of Getting It Right, the Brand Strategy Podcast. 
I surely hope that the listeners enjoyed it as much as uh, Chris and I, and of course, Ellen uh, uh, did. Um, if you want to learn more about this topic, you want to continue the conversation with Ellen, you know, you can always send an email to gettingitright at ipsos.com. That's one word, gettingitright at ipsos.com. And you know, we mentioned it a few times. If you're interested and you want to uh, read uh, Ellen and Emma's new paper, uh, their exciting new Ipsos Views report on AI meets consumer insights, get a free copy and you can download it from ipsos.com. Uh, actually, the full, uh, I think it's ipsos.com and then forward slash en forward slash then AI meets consumer insights. You'll find it. It's on the uh, homepage of, uh, uh, of, of ipsos.com. Uh, and by the way, if you want to see uh, Alan live, I think he's got another live kick on June 23rd at the gazebo in the Medfield, Massachusetts. If I get that right, Alan? Awesome. Yeah, let's see if we get any international uh, visitors. Proud. Fly, especially to see you play. So uh, for our future uh, sessions, we got uh, we continue to have amazing speakers, amazing insights this season, uh, where we discuss every two weeks other innovative brand topics with new inspiring guests. So that's it for now. Thank you for tuning in. And we look forward to catching you again in our next episode. Mm-hmm.